There was an idea. Dormammu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Baskin Robbins always finds out. I for the faster way. Are you Tony Stank? I am Iron Man. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective, the podcast where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece. I am your host, Eduardo, and I have assembled a crackpot team of Marvel enthusiasts to join me on this wild ride, and today is no exception. First, hailing from some sort of peach cave layer castle thing. I haven't decided. I'm, uh, I apologize. I'm not super prepared about the, the peach nomenclature this time. But it's Peaches. Peaches, what's up, man? Now it's a castle. I started with vehicles, and then I got a lair, and now I have a castle. I feel like I'm moving up in the world. I mean, you're getting there, right? I mean, it's something. Unfortunately, the princess is another castle. The, the, also, the castle the people don't know about my student loans. Don't tell them. <laughs> They won't let me keep the castle if they know. <laughs> uh, also joining us, resident writer for uh, All Things Squad Up and Assembly Required, it's Robbie. Robbie, what's up, man? Not a whole lot. Uh, just uh, another weekend full of podcasts and furious writing about yet another MCU movie was a fun day. Fun day. What a fun day. I have strong feelings on how fun this movie was to write about. <laughs> Also joining us and hopefully uh, glistening your ears with beautiful sounds, it's the Sound Lord and the Mrs. Sound Lord, Chris, Chris's, Chris and Angela are both here. What's up, guys? Yay! Christer and Chris's. <laughs> Chris's. Chris's is my favorite member of the, the group. Uh, Angela, welcome. Hey. Your first time on this podcast. You've been on the Squad Thank Up you. podcast before, but welcome to, yep. to this nonsense. Thanks. I just want to point out, I'm very uh, proud of Robbie for when you asked him, what's up, man? He actually responded with a real answer up is a preposition. instead of a joke or saying, or just saying back to you, hey, what's up? To be, to be fair, I don't <laughs> think I've, I've ever. In the squad up this is line. why she went before me, so I'd be shamed into actually saying something. Uh, I don't think I've ever actually told Eduardo how I'm doing. I think I've always said something <laughs> stupid in return. Not once. I was going to say, <laughs> I actually will never uh, know. I actually spent my past week playing a lot of Mario levels to build Peach's castle. So you're welcome, buddy. Hey, is it weird that you're playing as Peaches to get to Peach's castle and then Peach isn't in the castle? Let's talk about Marvel today. (laughs) Yeah, I'm confused now. Boy, if you have downloaded this podcast, you already know that today we are talking all about Iron Man 2. Everyone's favorite Iron Man. And by everyone, I mean no one. Uh... We're going to talk, we're going to dissect this movie, we're going to talk about favorite quotes, we're going to talk about who the MVP is, we're going to talk about some really important stuff, and then we're also going to talk about a bunch of nonsense. It's going to be a lot of fun. But before we do any of that, Angela, since it's going to be your first time on the show, can you please let myself and the rest of the world know what your top five favorite Marvel movies are? Absolutely. Um, This is in no particular order, but... um... My top five include Captain America, the first Avenger, uh, Black Panther, the Avengers, Avengers Endgame, and Thor Ragnarok. 
Do you want me to elaborate on any of those? <laughs> I mean, I want you to elaborate on Black Panther just because I love it so much, but you can elaborate on whichever he one you want to. muted so he could cheer when you said that. <laughs> I, I, I did. <laughs> I want you to elaborate on Ragnarok because I thought you hated Ragnarok because it was too funny. Initially, I thought they were trying too hard to be Guardians of the Galaxy. I thought it, you know, the whole MCU was taking this turn mm-hmm. into being... You know, let's just get some laughs and very quippy and all that stuff. And then I started thinking about which movies do I enjoy watching over and over? Which movies do I turn to to be comforted? Um, And Ragnarok is just really fun. And I love Valkyrie. I think she's really interesting. I like that the throne was actually protected by this legion of female warriors it's about time. Right. <laughs> I, we'll get to that. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum is great, as always. And um, there's just a lot of things in that movie that just, they make me laugh. And and I don't know. I just, I watch that movie a lot, like off Netflix, just to to relax sometimes or whatever. So I, that's why it ended up in the top five. I was not expecting that because you're right. Initially, I had those feelings about it. All right. Uh, the first I'm <laughs> Captain America, the first Avenger, similar to what Chris has said in the past, I really love the time pieces, like the one, you know, that this is set in the 40s. And Peggy Carter is just amazing. She's probably my favorite character in the MCU as a whole. And I just think it's a really well-rounded story. I think it has a great villain. It has a great, you know, just development of the plot. I I really don't have anything negative to say about that movie. Um, whereas I recognize how people feel about Winter Soldier. I enjoyed Winter Soldier. I can't rewatch Winter Soldier lots. Like it's actually a little too, this is not a pun at all, but it's a little too stark of a film. Uh, and <laughs> you it, can't just say something's not a pun when it's a pun. Okay, all of us here have to be embraced. That pun doesn't work that way. So anyway. We just have to embrace that we're always going to pun. It's like saying, no offense, but I hate you. Like, you can't say, this isn't a pun, but here's some puns. Because I knew if I said it was kind of stark of a film and then someone would snort and you did anyway. So anyway. Oh, boy. Anyway, I love the first Avenger more than Winter Soldier. Sorry to all the haters. Black Panther um, is just an incredible film. There's a reason it was nominated for Oscars and even Best Picture of the Year. And it just, it has a really well-developed cast of characters, incredible acting, incredible costumes, incredible score. I'm so happy that score won. That was the thing I was pulling for the most when I was watching the Oscars. There's just, again, kind of like First Avenger, like I have nothing bad to say about Black Panther. I just think it's really well conceived and everything. Um, And it stands on its own as a good film. You don't have to know the comics going in. You don't have to know the other MCU things going on to watch that movie. So I think that's really important. Um, The Avengers, we all love the Avengers. That was the first of the Avengers movies, obviously. It's another rewatchable film. Uh, and, And then Endgame was incredible and i don't really think i need to speak too much on that so yep you know as 
as you're talking, I'm I'm thinking about we're going to talk about it in the podcast here in just a moment. I'm thinking about all the actors that were in the MCU that I forgot were in the MCU. Like I don't think about Captain America: um, The First Avenger too often, but I also do remember that Hugo Weaving is in that movie and, and he Tommy plays Lee the Jones. Red Skull and Tommy mm-hmm. Lee Jones and um, my MVP for the Iron Man two uh, movie um, is also somebody who I didn't realize was in the, the MCU at all. And then he's in there as well, but you're going to have to keep listening to find out who that Ooh, is. What a teaser. <laughs> it's definitely the bird. Yeah. String him along, make him wait. My bird. I have never been so excited in my entire <laughs> life because after just the second episode, we have already gotten an email and I'm so excited. And we're going to so, read it right now email, on the email, podcast. Email. It is, I, I really hope he... <laughs> I really hope he doesn't mind having his name read because I'm going to be name, reading his name on the podcast. If not, I we'll check, ask him. I'll check with him and I'll bleep it out if I have to. <laughs> there we go. Um, this email comes to us from Kevin Enright and it says, Hello, Eduardo. Also, the rest of the Assembly Required family. Said his name's Kevin, and he's a friend and relative of the Sound Lord himself. That's you. That's me. That's, that's you, man. Yeah. He says, I've, I've listened to the first two episodes of the Retrospective Podcast, and I've enjoyed the discussions. Like all of you, I'm a huge nerd of all things MCU, Marvel, and superheroes. I've appreciated the podcast's approach to these films, and I think it's a great idea. And knowing Chris is a bonus. Did he do finger guns in the email? I imagine finger guns being part of the email. Oh, okay. All right. Anyway, I wanted to write because of the discussion on the Iron Man podcast about the line, I am Iron Man. You know, that famous line Robert Downey Jr. says. He goes on. The way the line was discussed, it seemed implied, maybe intentionally, that from the movie standpoint, it was an intentional move and was dissected on that basis. However, that line was not written in the original script and was ad-libbed by Robert Downey Jr. See the story below for more details, which he linked to a, a couple stories. Which, in my opinion, given the significance of such a line, really truly colors it in an entirely different angle. As Feige said, it changed how the production team approached future movies. Then, regarding the line as it appears in Endgame, this was also not something that was originally in the script and added in production by a producer, Jeff Ford, and a reshoot to achieve. Which I thought was really interesting because, one, it shows how other team members on the production team have a hand in the films that we never really hear about. And two, the fluidity of how these movies are made allows them to have defining moments come essentially naturally. For a line that is iconic as it, for a line as iconic as it is in the MCU, I found it interesting how that phrase came into being and became a callback. That moment was shocking to us because it ended up expectations of the secret identity, ended our expectations of the secret identity. It took the silliness of the I'm Superman, but if I just put on glasses, you can't tell motif, it essentially removed it from the MCU before it even really started. For example, it's partially why we don't get the weird Donald Blake Thor origin from the comics. I think this freed up the movies to tell fresh stories and help the MCU flourish into what it is. P.S. Chris signed off episode zero with a quick Excelsior, and I'm disappointed that didn't happen at the end of episode one. Don't let it happen again. So, Chris, (laughs) before we talk about the email, you need to get your shit together. Let me, okay, just uh, to make up for lost time, Excelsior. Excelsior. That comes in the last episodes. <laughs> and we will, we will continue on. Yeah. But a lot to unpack in this email. It's really interesting 
because one, I wasn't aware of this at all. I knew the line from Endgame was ad-libbed or was added in afterwards, I should say, but I was not aware that this line was not originally intended to be part of the movie. And so it's interesting because he's correct that it does shape the way we view the MCU. And I've talked about this before, but besides Peter Parker, there are really no secret identities in the MCU. Secret identities don't really exist. Everybody just kind of knows who everyone is. Yeah, like Captain America is um, a historical figure. Right. Uh, you know, Thor, Thor is just Thor. Yeah. Black Panther's a king. Uh, right. right. And they even like in his own movie just kind of come out and are like, I'm Black Panther. Like, like all of those things just kind of are just told. Like it's just known. You know who everyone is. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah, I also didn't know that it was ad-libbed and it, it makes it even more special to me that the the line that he ad-libbed ends up having such an impact across the entire series. It also seems like a continuation of this is Robert Downey Jr.'s character because Robert Downey Jr. would have also just said that, right? Like it's a very mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. delivery. This The entire Tony Stark character is curated to Robert Downey Jr. himself. And so if Robert Downey Jr. was in that situation, I think that's exactly the same thing he would do. Yeah, yeah, probably. If you've seen the footage recently from when he's he announced his new initiative to, um, you know, it's fighting climate change and all these other things, he went out. I think it was in Vegas. He steps out on stage and he's talking like this is a Tony Stark presentation because he's talking <laughs> about like artificial intelligence and all this other stuff. Like he's he is Tony Stark. He is Iron Man. But that's just who he is. Yeah, I, I think they're. Yeah, they're one and the same, and I think it's really interesting how they yeah. shaped it. So we're gonna we're gonna talk a, a lot more Iron Man here in just a yeah. moment, but I want to say thank you, Kevin, for emailing us. If you too would like to email the show, email into assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. We'll read it on the air just like we did this one. And even if you don't, thanks for listening, because we really appreciate it. But after all that, let's get talking about some Iron Man 2. Iron Man 2, we're going to talk into the, the plot synopsis. We're going to get into some few discussion points. We're going to talk quotes. But first, we need to talk about a couple characters that were introduced in this movie that we can give a little bit of backstory on that are going to be pivotal as we move forward into the MCU. We're going to start with uh, a character that is, I want, to, I want I don't want to call her controversial, but she's a character that has gone through a lot of evolution, right? It's a character that starts in one specific area and ends up in a different area, I think I is, is fair to say. Now, Robbie, um, since you compiled these notes, you've got a lot of uh, interesting points about Black Widow. Um, how about you give us a little, uh, little snippet of that? So I think it's actually really neat that this is where Black Widow was introduced. Um, I didn't know this actually at the time of the movie. I, I knew it prior to, to researching this episode, but somewhere between when the movie came out and now I became aware of something that I don't think many people do realize, which is Black Widow is originally an Iron Man villain. That's where she comes from. So it's perfect that she was introduced in the Iron Man trilogy. Um, so she started in 1964 in Tales of Suspense. Uh, she was a KGB agent sent to assassinate uh, Tony Stark and Iron Man and, super importantly, Anton Vanko, which is a name that's going to be important in the rest of the show as well, who was the original Crimson Dynamo, quit, ended up working for Tony Stark. Um, And she was sent to assassinate him along with the second Crimson Dynamo. Failed, she lost, she did assassinate Anton Vanko, but she failed to assassinate Tony Stark. Um, Stayed his villain for a little while, um, and before, fairly quickly, after only a couple years, uh, she ended up quitting the KGB, defecting to the United States, uh, and became a member of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, she became the 16th member of the Avenger. And I think 
the second female Avenger. I think she was after Wasp. She was the second female Avenger. No, Scarlet Witch wow. as well. So I think she was third. Oh, okay. Um, but she was one of the first few female Avengers. Um, and that's where she's been ever since. She did have her own comic runs, but mostly she's always just been there in other people's comics. There's a handful of S.H.I.E.L.D. characters. Uh, they're always kind of there just to pop in when you need an espionage character in Spider-Man or in, in Iron Man or whatever. And, and she's always kind of filled that role as well as being an Avenger. Um, you can actually, if you guys looked in the show notes, I included what her original look was, uh, which was really what they should have used in the movie. Um, she has a little, uh, can I speak to your manager, black haircut. Uh, she has a really funky mask and a cape and fishnets. Um, so that's, I to me, that's what she should have looked like in the MCU, because that's hilarious. Uh, I love the mask. It was actually an amazing Spider-Man in the 1970s when she got her current look. Um, she was she showed up in a Spider-Man comic, and she showed up suddenly with long red hair and a skin-tight uh, black suit. Uh, and that's the, the, the uh, uh, Black Widow we know and love. Um, so very, I was very happy that she entered ended up in the movie and, and I know um, a couple of us have strong feelings about that, that we'll talk about so I'm really happy that uh, Angela's here too because in the MCU she was introduced and it almost felt like and I don't want to accuse someone of this if it's not true but it felt like hey here's your token female she won't get her own movie but now there's a woman in the Avengers shut up um, and maybe I'm wrong that that's how she was used but at times it felt like that's how she was used in the early MCU um, there's Plenty of female characters, maybe still not enough, but plenty of female characters in the MCU now. Um, and I know Angela's going to talk about this later, so I'm excited about her perspective on the female treatment in this film. Uh, but that's what Scarlett Johansson ended up being uh, Black Widow uh, in this movie she's introduced. Um, we'll talk about her arc a little bit, and then she's stuck around um, for a very, very long time. And she has a boss who's also really important, um, and I think Chris is going to talk about him. Well, yes, yes, I will talk about Colonel Nicholas J. Fury. I don't know if he's actually a colonel in these movies. Um, I think they might have called him colonel at one point. Uh, but yeah, Nick Fury, uh, originally played by David yep. Hasselhoff. Uh, no, um, <laughs> that, that's true. Uh, so in the comics, Nick Fury was a World War II commander. Uh, war comics were big, obviously. That, that was definitely a thing, especially back in the 40s. Um, but then when Marvel wanted an espionage and spy comic, they ma- made him the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, and started the comic Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. I believe he was originally, it was Nick, it was like Sergeant Fury and mm-hmm. his Howling Commandos, uh, which we'll talk about them a little bit when we get to the Captain America, the first Avenger episode. Uh, but that was how Nick Fury was introduced, then became sort of the spy, the super spy of the Marvel Universe. Uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. became the main secret military organization in Marvel Comics, because you got to have a secret military organization. Uh, that's very important uh, for any story you want to tell, I, I think. Um, <clears throat> and he became the director and face of the organization and was probably the uh, most uh, popular non-superhero character in the franchise. So comic books, there are multiple universes. Uh, if you've seen Into the Spider-Verse, uh, you are familiar with that concept. Or if you've read comic books, you get that. Uh, so in the 90s, Marvel, want, uh, Marvel created what was called the Ultimate Universe which was a way for them to keep the main Marvel universe going that has had the same continuity since the very beginning, uh, keep that going, but also start retelling some of the origin stories and recreate uh, the characters for a modern audience. Uh, So in the Ultimate Universe, they redesigned Nick Fury uh, and made him look just like Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, I believe they actually even had to get his permission to do that. And the uh, the handshake agreement, I think, was all right. But if you ever make a movie with Nick Fury, 
I got to play him. And uh, then he showed up in the end credits of the original Iron Man as Nick Fury. And there he was. So that was his first appearance. And then he in Iron Man 2, it's his first real significant screen time. And uh, as I mentioned, David Hasselhoff, Hasselhoff earlier, just there was a TV movie that was Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And David and Hasselhoff was weird. played. Was uh, it on like Lifetime or something? Because that's kind of weird. It was. I mean, <laughs> I it was it. like a primetime network television show. Yeah. And gosh, it had like Madame Hydra in it, I want to say. Uh, and a couple other characters. You look at it and you're like, really? That character was in this movie? And granted, they changed how the characters were portrayed quite a bit. But, but yeah, so that was uh, that was their, the first attempt at making Nick Fury uh, on screen. So we've been introduced to some of these characters. Colonel James Rhodes is also going to play a, a huge role in this movie, but we'll, we'll get into that here in a moment. Um, but the film was released... Post-production began basically immediately after Iron Man. They saw the success of Iron Man and were like, it was like a cartoon. Dollar signs got over their eyeballs and they were like, we need to make another one of these right now. And so they immediately started production on the next one. Um, Film was released April 26, 2010 and grossed 634 million worldwide. Um, It wasn't necessarily critically as well received as the original, and I think we'll get into some of that here in a moment. But starting the movie off, we start off with this really interesting theme or scene with Anton Van Gogh, where he dies, and his son Ivan builds an arc reactor and ends up building the whole like whiplash, the the uh, initial whiplash whips, Um, and then we head into the Tony Stark Expo, where or excuse me, the, the Stark Expo with Tony Stark is there. He's, he's talking about everything. We run into a few different fun little snippets. I find it interesting, and I didn't even write this in the notes, but it kind of goes along with what Peach has said um, here in our show notes that the rock music definitely parallels the first movie, but also sort of the opening credits of Ivan Vanko. Is it Vanko or Vanko? Potato, uh, tomato. Yeah, uh, probably Vanko. I mean, yeah, say it how correct. you want to say it. I think it's Vanko. <laughs> okay. So. Um, of him, of him literally hammering like iron in that movie or in the, the, the initial scene is essentially just an actual mirror of the first Iron Man movie. It's not necessarily parallel, uh, paralleling the beginning, but it's definitely like, here's what Iron Man did, but this time it's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Do you want me to touch on what I was saying in the show yeah, notes? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I just wanted to add another uh, piece to okay. it as well. The, yeah, the listeners can't see the show notes, so I don't know if you <laughs> if you knew that. Um. So th- what I what I took from that was not necessarily like the cave sequence, which I didn't realize until you were just saying it is such a such a close parallel. I more so thought the opening of um, the movie just being like, OK, here's some more rock music. Here's some more new rock music, kind of similar style as the last movie. Uh, they see and, they see again. Right. ACDC in a second time. And we're having a celebration again. Like it's not necessarily giving Tony an award. It's Tony showing stuff off. And I almost felt like uh, the cartoon eyes was a good a good parallel there because they saw how successful their first movie was. And they're like, hey, maybe if we just keep this going, we can make some more money. Just do everything we did. It's like that meme that's like, hey, can I copy this thing oh yeah just change it a little bit so the teacher that can't tell you copied hard rock can i get some more of that? <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so it just feels like they're trying to do the same thing again which 
you know, for Marvel, we've learned now kind of the formula that they have. We've known that that works to a degree, but they don't just change one thing in the formula when they, you know, create another movie. They change a lot of things, but they keep to the same general algorithm. I think that it almost kept too many of the same things, um, including basically the first 15 minutes of the movie. I mean, the only real difference is that when they're giving Tony the award in the first movie, he's not actually present. He's in the casino hanging out with girls. Whereas when Tony is starting his expo, the girls are on stage with him and he is present at the event. So that's really like the only difference in the beginning other than the event is titled something different. Um, The way way I viewed that scene though was... We had just, you know, the end of the first Iron Man, he reveals himself to the world, I am Iron Man. So him landing on stage in the suit with Iron Man clad dancers behind him, he is reveling in everyone knowing who he oh, is yeah. and who Iron Man is. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually fits. Like, that actually is appropriate that that's how they start the movie off because we haven't seen before superheroes who their real identity is public knowledge so this is us now seeing how this is playing out and in the beginning it looks great because he's having a blast on stage and all that stuff and then we see the decline we see it all go to shit um, yeah as i don't progresses i don't necessarily think it was out of his character i think that it was well done for the character that he was becoming and he was getting really show-offy about the title that he created for himself by claiming to be iron man I just think it's it's interesting that the two movies are so similar in the first 15 minutes that it's it's like it's almost too similar, like differentiate a little, yeah, make him still cocky and full of himself. But don't don't carbon copy the exact same first 15 minutes. You know, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah I don't I don't disagree with that. Um, another part of this whole expo was that it's uh, you get to see a nice video of Howard Stark in there. And did anyone else, and I'm asking this almost rhetorically because yes. I know yeah. all of you agree with this. Absolutely we do. Did any of you else feel like Howard Stark was basically just Walt Disney? That model and, is Epcot. That model is it's Epcot. literally just Epcot. It's just yeah. Epcot. I, I personally, I love that take on Howard yes. Stark. He's like a weird mix of Howard Hughes and Walt Disney. He's got like the... Uh, the billionaire eccentricities of Howard Hughes with the public persona of Walt Disney. Mm-hmm. The, that video is so much something out of the Disneyland mm-hmm. TV show or wonderful. World yeah. All the posters in the back um, look like 1964 Disneyland posters. It's Yeah. I mean, even, even down to the Stark expo, it's just the world's fair and they didn't just do any world's fair. They were definitely deliberately aping the 64 yes, world's fair correct. that Walt Disney designed so many attractions for and i'm so glad i get to indulge my disney park nerd uh side (laughs) in this episode richard sherman wrote a song for this movie no way richard sherman of the sherman brothers yeah he wrote make way for tomorrow today oh my god does that not sound like like, uh great big beautiful tomorrow like it is actually richard sherman oh my god i I wrote the note somewhere because i want to make sure i got the right sherman brother but i'm pretty sure it was richard yep yeah richard sherman wrote that song oh my god yeah like how perfect, and this is this was the first movie to come out after Disney bought Marvel, but it was done before Disney bought Marvel. So when it came out, I was like, "Really? Look, of course, okay, it makes uh, sense now." <laughs> movie just got brownie points, and I already rated it. <laughs> you, can, you, can cha- you can change your rating. <laughs> no, it'll be my rating point brownie. Uh, <laughs> I'll just add 
John Favreau a Disney nerd? He might I be. think so. He was he was attached to direct a Magic Kingdom movie for a while. Do you remember that? It was okay. supposed to be one of those like it was going to be like Night at the Museum except at Disneyland. Uh, yeah, huh. but that never happened. Wait, that's just yeah, Kingdom Keepers, yeah, pretty much. But yeah, I think he, I think he is probably at least to some extent. I mean, a lot of those Hollywood people. I mean, they all grew up going to Disneyland. Something I want to add on to about while we're on the subject of the Stark Expo, Howard Stark is how well then this sets up Howard Stark in the first Avenger and that we kind of get a a feeling of what kind of guy he is. And then seeing his younger self is like really cool then in, in Captain America. And they do actually, when they're at the expo in the forties, they, they play make way for tomorrow today, like an instrumental version in the background, which is kind of a neat callback or, I guess you could say when they play it at the expo, it's a call forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think um, it's it's fun. Time travel that, exists. Yeah, yeah, Howard Stark is like, you see how similar he is to Tony in that movie. But, you know, everyone <laughs> shits on this movie. But what I enjoy about this movie is actually, like, the expo is one of my favorite things about it. Howard Stark is one of my favorite things about it. The, the old clips of him uh, with the model behind him and he's talking to the audience or later we find out talking to Tony in those clips. I really, really enjoy those pieces, and I think it it sets things up nicely for for later on. But I I don't feel like it's a cheap setup because I think that comment was made how this whole movie feels like it's just setting up for later stuff, and I I see that. But I also think it was a really neat piece of this movie that it's one of the pieces I look forward to when I see when I watch this movie. Do you think that Howard Stark's head is frozen <laughs> and oh. underneath Avengers Tower? <laughs> It's yeah, got to be, right? The parallels are too strong. It has yeah. to be under So what there. you're saying is yeah, that Howard Stark is going to end up as MODOK in the future. <laughs> Whoa. The deepest lore. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone yeah. too far. We can't turn back. Yeah. <laughs> the movie then rolls on to a Senate hearing where the Senate, or a Senate committee, I should say, is trying to get Tony Stark... I am the Senate is trying to get Tony Stark (laughs) to turn over the Iron Man suit to the United States government. And in typical Tony Stark slash Robert Downey Jr. Fashion, he refuses in some of the funniest ways possible. Um, And that sort of scene plays out. We then get the introduction of Pepper Potts as the new CEO as of Stark Enterprises, as well as the introduction of the character that we talked about a moment ago, who is currently named Natalie Rushman because we don't know her secret identity yet, um, who is <laughs> Natasha Romanoff, the Black Widow. Um, Angela, you had, uh, for what sounded like a revelation about this movie from speaking about it not too long ago, and I want to touch on it. I want to ask questions about it because I feel a certain way about the way the character was treated, and it is different from the way you feel, but I feel like your opinion is more valid than mine when talking about this. So I was, you know, we were re-watching it literally like hours ago, and I was watching her very carefully and realizing, so when you first see Natalie, she walks in in business-appropriate clothing, They are not trying to make her look, you know, scantily clad in any kind of way. Um, I don't think they're trying to make her look busty or anything. I mean, Scarlett Johansson has a bust, but I don't, I don't feel like, 
Edward, let's stop. <laughs> no, 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 no. We cannot do this right now. I can say, I can say this stuff. <laughs> but she's wearing appropriate clothing for the situation she is in. She is an executive assistant. And then she gets into the boxing ring. And our first impression of her is that she knocks out happy like it's nothing. That's the first impression we get of her, that she's a badass, that she's got these incredible fighting skills. And yes, Tony Googles her and finds these like photos of her, you know, in some kind of boudoir shoot. But that's Tony doing that. He is looking her up. He's objectifying her. That's what he's doing. But I don't think the film is doing that. I think the film, if you look throughout the whole film, you look at her wardrobe and everything, she's very covered up in the whole film. She's wearing appropriate clothing. There's nothing that they're trying to be like, hey, you know. <laughs> I think the only part <laughs> that really- babe we just brought in. You know, the only like, part that really stands out to me that made me feel kind of weird when I was rewatching was there's a scene where it's Tony's birthday party or he's like, what would you do for your birthday? And she makes him a martini. And then she looks at him and she gives him some look. She goes, is that dirty enough for you, Tony? And after watching that, I was like, oh, this doesn't, that was kind of weird. That was a strange line, but I think it was her trying to play that part. Like sure. her, Natasha, trying to, sh- she's still playing a part for in front of him, you know, as. Because he doesn't know who she is yet. Yeah. Right. So she, I don't She's trying think, to be Natalie. Right. I don't think that was for you know, the men watching and the audience, I think that was for what she needed to do in that, that role she was playing. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Cause actually that line kind of stuck out to me a little bit as well. I was like, Oh, that's, that's a double entendre right there. <laughs> um, but it does make sense in the context of she's undercover right now. She's got to stay in Tony's good graces to stay close to him, to keep him out of trouble if she can. But so, I, I think yeah. we, we tend to gloss over Iron Man and some of their lines um, because we, we ripped Hulk apart a little bit for some of the lines that they gave that were a little too, uh, a little too obvious. And we talked about like the, the introduction of the Hulk name, like, Oh, he must be some giant Hulk or whatever the line was. Yeah. Same it's thing. With, uh, same thing with the abomination, but uh-huh. In here, we we tend to give it a pass because it's an Iron Man movie. I guess I personally just didn't like the line at all. I guess it makes sense in context if you really think about it. But on the surface, it was just like, well, that's kind of a weird thing to say. And like, if you really think about it, it makes sense. Um, but I don't think you should have to think about. Like, I guess I guess my my only point would be you don't have to. You, you shouldn't have to think about a movie like or a Marvel movie that in depth to be okay with the line. Like you shouldn't have to try to connect a bunch of dots for you to be like, all right, well now it makes sense. It should just be like, that's a good line or that's not a good line because this is a sort of a popcorn flick, right? I think they were also trying to throw the audience off the scent. Like yes. they up till that point, we thought that maybe she was kind of trying to flirt with him, that she is just this assistant that was brought in. Yeah. I, I think you're completely correct. Um, and I'm not going to go farther because we'll go into it later, I believe. So I'm going to back off. But I think you're correct. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, Thank you, Angela. You've been validated by Robbie. All of your opinions are now correct. Uh, is that how that works? The blessing we all wish for. 
Man, I can't wait until he validates my opinions. <laughs> uh, all right, moving on with the movie, we then get uh, the races in Grand Prix in Monaco. Now, Peaches, I want to talk to you about this scene specifically because when I was watching this, I thought about a comment you made when we were watching Hulk. And you remember talking about how Bruce Banner was just a parkour expert and could yeah. just outrun and outmaneuver everyone? Yep. What about Tony Stark suddenly being a Formula One driver and beating out a bunch of other professional drivers? I'm not saying you agree with Listen, it, but like... I agree with you on that one. That's a big weird point of the movie too, where I'm like, you. I get that you're rich and you own the car and like you're the only one that knows that you're secretly dying. So maybe you're just like, YOLO, what's the worst that can happen? I get in a sure. car accident? It's like me every time... I am joking about, oh, well, if I die, I don't have to pay my student loans. Like, he's kind of taking that really seriously. And he's like, well, I guess I'll drive. And he, you're right. He does a really weirdly good job of driving until he gets whiplashed. Yeah, if whiplash... If Whiplash wasn't there, he probably would have won the race. Like, he was doing that well. well he was rich like, people do weird stuff all the time, and you saw how many cars he had in the first movie, right? That is true. He does have yeah. a lot of sports cars. I mean, he does have practice driving fast sports cars, not necessarily, like, right. racing cars. I own a computer. I can't hack into NASA. Like, I can't, <laughs> you, know, I, you know. You're not just, Tony Stark-level intelligent. None of that's, us are. That is true. I don't know. It felt weird to me. It was like a weird little thing. It, it, it's not something we have to harp on, but I thought about it. No, when I, I, I thought about you when I was watching the movie. Um, no, I agree specifically. They were, those were two that scenes. That scene is weird. Yeah. In thing. each movie, both of those scenes are weird. Yeah. And, and Whiplash can can whip these Formula One cars like it's nothing, but then a dude is laying prone on the ground and he can't hit him. He's just landing still on the ground. Then that dumb briefcase... How is a briefcase that light that you can just throw it around able to make armor that can actually withstand impact? Like there's some how serious matter displacement going on here. How Science. dare you besmirch the briefcase? That's a cool. <laughs> yeah, so I was gonna say the, the briefcase was like is it the would best be part a cool prop if it was really hard to carry. Then I would buy into what it was doing. Listen, just because you don't lift doesn't mean they don't lift. Okay, I think the weirdest thing about that, that scene, lift. beyond all the things we've talked about, is when, um. Pepper and Happy decide they need to go help Tony. So they start driving their car the reverse direction of the race. <laughs> and there's a point where Pepper screams and points forward and yells car. Like, no shit, there's a car. <laughs> You're driving in reverse in a race. <laughs> you don't need to tell Happy there's a car. I don't know. I felt, I felt like I'll that was you that one. That's let, me, let me tell you that. Uh, the more I watch these movies, the more I think Happy and John Favreau in general is just an absolute star, and like he can just do no wrong in my eyes. He's like fantastic. I'm glad they keep bringing him back. Yeah, me I know too. He's a Spider-Man character now, but I'm glad they keep bringing him back. Right. Um, this is our first real introduction. We got introduced a little bit to Ivan Vanko uh, a little earlier, but this is our first real introduction to him as the villain of this movie, or one of the villains. You could this whole scene. I was say. waiting for Iron Man's theme from the first movie to kick in too, and it never did. No yeah, light the piece for you. Uh -huh. <laughs> was really boring. Yeah. Did you try increasing the cycles? That was a dumb joke. I'm sorry. I'm going to do that <laughs> one episode. So <laughs> everybody get used to that. I'm going to go back to ASMR. 
we get in, <laughs> we get introduced um, to Ivan Vanko. Vanko is a re- um, an interesting villain, Whiplash in general, because prior to this movie, and I remember doing my own research about this, he was not like a big villain. Mm-mm. He was he was kind of like a joke villain. He was like, oh, it's Whiplash. Like, look at him go. Look at his whips. <laughs> like, he wasn't like a he, he wasn't necessarily like a like a threat. And they like almost arbitrarily chose him to be like, all right, this is our villain. We're choosing Whiplash, and we're gonna make him badass, and we're gonna use um. What's the guy's name? Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke. Mm-hmm. Right. Who? I have, Go I have ahead. some theories. Like this, <laughs> choosing him as the villain and and what his motivations are, it kind of starts the trend of villains appearing in the MCU because they're pissed off at Tony Stark. Yes. Because Tony Stark did something that hurt them. The problem I have with Banco is he's boring. <laughs> yes. He's so boring. <laughs> he's and i know you so the i watched this honest trailer recently that was about the whole mcu except for m game it was like that far up and they made a crack about how the formula is the villain is like the protagonist but evil and that's exactly (laughs) the same thing with banco except he's just he does it in a boring way and i i understand like the Grand Prix scene was necessary for like showing Tony loose cannoning and to reveal Vanko as a villain, but he's not even an interesting villain. Like the whips, mm-hmm. I, it's boring. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to say it. it's slow. It's a very slow moving fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the most interesting thing about it, I agree is, is the, the, the briefcase turning into the suit, you know, and, and I enjoy pepper and happy, you know, the fact that there are these regular people and they're driving into a race to bring tony his i mean that's kind of badass in itself they risk their lives to drive onto this race course they had the appropriate reaction when you're not a formula one driver and you're driving in a formula (laughs) one race (laughs) but like vanko he didn't even have an interesting escape from prison i know we're not there yet but like that was all hammer getting him out of prison like he didn't even escape from prison himself yeah, you know, he, he blows up the cell and walks away, and you could say that's mirroring a little bit Tony walking away from an explosion in the first movie, but it's not. It's like so unimpressive. <laughs> it also so. speaks to the biggest travesty of this movie that Sam Rockwell isn't just the main villain and doesn't get more screen time because, god damn it, Sam yeah. Rockwell He's, in this movie is fantastic. He is. Mm-hmm the best i i love him in this movie he is so good in this movie he, he's such a and to be fair part of it is because this is sam rockwell's character he plays this character in a lot of movies the like sleazy <laughs> kind of douchey guy that like you know he it's a very similar uh-huh. character for him um and so that fits well with our theme of people just playing themselves on character because we have tony stark <laughs> here and it would be nice to pair that with you know, Sam Rockwell over here. Mm-hmm. He Moving kinda, I was go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Please. I was, when we're on the subject of Hammer and his character, I was actually thinking today, and it could just be because I've been watching a lot of this show recently or rewatching, I should say. He reminds me of Jeremy Jam from <laughs> You just got oh my God, yes. <laughs> 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 like just all these lame attempts to, you know, one up tony and so you know he calls tony anthony to like try to get oh, right He's such a douche i'm not the expert anthony you are <laughs> <laughs> i also yeah. ag- agree with your parks and rec thing 
You haven't seen Parks and Rec, have you? <laughs> oh, no. Well, it's all if, on Netflix. Power through season one and then season two on. It's amazing. Yep. Also, to go in the theme of copying from the first Iron Man, he's the second villain now to fly in food from a really far away. <laughs> oh, gosh, yes. I, I have to yeah. say, because I actually have a note about that scene here. The fancy dinner in an airplane hangar. Complete yeah. with chamber music and waiters wearing white gloves presenting the food <laughs> to this criminal that they just broke out of jail sitting in the middle of an airplane hangar. And it's just the, I love that scene so much. Well, we can yeah, talk about heard. that scene right now yeah. because we that's that's where, where we're headed next. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Amber breaks Vanko out of jail. Um, he gets like a guy that like looks like him and then they have like a bomb in there. It's kind of a weird scene, honestly, because like, it seemed really easy to break somebody out of French prison, but <laughs> why, did, why didn't the guards that were secretly working for hammer just literally take him out of the prison? Right. Yeah. Why didn't they, why did they have to go through all that? Why didn't they just like take him out? Because it seemed know. like that's how they got him out. And, and, anyway, he ends up right in front of Justin hammer. They strike a deal to help. Honestly, the, the details of the deal are pretty unclear from watching including like i think part of the movie you're supposed to believe that the details of the uh of the agreement are pretty unclear with how um vanko isn't really talking to uh to hammer but the one demand that he does make is that he wants his bird i want my bird he my wants bird. his bird my no one bird. else's bird if there's one redeeming line from this whole movie from mickey rourke is that he wants his damn bird um <laughs> that, that's his character trait it's, and it's then, then Justin brings in the wrong bird. He says it's Norwegian <laughs> blue, beautiful plumage. Um, next up, Poor we guy. get Nick Fury meeting with Stark. Um, no one does it. Stark no, spirals more. Got... I'm sorry, I missed the point. Yeah. Stark spirals more. Um, we get um, Tony Stark. Basically, we find out he's dying. He's The thing that's keeping him alive is killing him. He's got this weird... Thing coming off of his chest from the arc reactor and he gets really drunk he has a birthday party for himself and we start getting the introduction of war machine here when colonel rhodes takes on the mark ii suit correct the mark ii that's what he puts on yeah it's the, uh, i believe so it is the mark ii yeah. because later on pepper is talking to the u.s military on the phone and she talks about how the mark ii suit is hers or their companies so it is the oh, mark ii suit i missed that um, yeah. okay so he takes the mark ii suit yeah literally the government just steals yeah. here the like, government just, also steals, from steals from him but they yeah. also make a point in a moment when they when you have the meeting with nick fury and tony where they talk about how Tony could probably just turn the suit off if he wanted to, but he doesn't. Yeah. So he kind of he kind of yep. wants him to have it because he thinks he's going to die, and he wants somebody else to sort of carry on the legacy. So Tony and Colonel Rhodes have a giant fight in his like birthday party, um, and three peas in a suit. <laughs> right. We we get a really we get a lot of shots here of Tony doing things in the Iron Man suit that he probably shouldn't be doing. I, I kind of wrote a note about this, how it sort of seems like Tony just kind of like the theme of the movie is let's put Tony in these, in the Iron Man suit and let's make him do things that he probably shouldn't be doing in the Iron Man suit. Let's make him like be part of a party. He's going to be in a donut. He's going to do all these like fun little things that aren't actually being Iron you Man. You shut up. If you could <laughs> fly yourself into the middle of a donut and sit there, you would. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I wouldn't. I'm just saying <laughs> that happens in the movie. Uh, yeah, it seems well. to be to me and Robbie, you would probably know more about this than I would, but this feels like they're not at the demon in a bottle storyline. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's absolutely is. And they talked about it in the production of the film. And I can remember this from when it was being produced because I thought this movie was going to be demon in a bottle. I mean, they were open with, they wanted Tony to, be that they wanted to beat some struggles with alcohol and some struggles with mortality and stress and all the things that, that Tony Stark dealt with in the comic in Demon in the Bottle, but they didn't want it to be the same. They didn't want to just make Demon in the Bottle the movie. So it absolutely is kind of a nod to that. However, there's a difference in the MCU where MCU Tony Stark is not an alcoholic. Like that's just He's a social part, drinker. Like like that yeah. right. That that um Character flaw is harsh, but you know what I'm getting at. It's a part of the character of comic book Tony Stark is that alcohol is dangerous for him because he can't control himself around it. MCU Tony Stark just can't control himself around anything. And in this case, it's alcohol. We continue on with the theme of this is Tony, just as much Tony Stark as it is Robert Downey Jr. Because as everyone knows, it is very famous that Robert Downey Jr. has lots of problems with addiction and alcoholism. And he's got a lot of his own traits mirrored in here. And Chris, he wrote some things about how a lot of this movie is about the downfall of Tony Stark. And I think it's a common theme in um, a lot of the Iron Man movies where we, we see Tony Stark in general sort of having a breakdown. Sort of in the middle of almost every Iron Man movie, Tony Stark breaks down. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, for one reason or another, like in this movie, he is self-destructive because he believes he's going to die and he has nothing to lose. And I hadn't thought of this when I put this in the notes, but thinking of demon in a bottle, it would have been interesting to see a more, you know, see them maybe delve deeper into that actual storyline, but it doesn't quite fit in with the tone of what the Iron Man series in the movies was becoming. So I understand why they didn't go all the way into the bad guy in this movie is alcoholism. Not a metaphor for alcoholism, but alcoholism. So I get why they didn't do that, because like the first movie was kind of a light and fun movie, and to suddenly take that left turn into uh, this really dark character study. I, I can see why they just sort of took some themes from it and said, well, okay, let's have him be dying, and that's why he's making these poor choices. Um, but that is also, you know, it ends up working for his character and for his character arc throughout the whole MCU, because uh, contrast this, where he's being self-destructive and doesn't care if he dies, with his next appearance in The Avengers, where Captain America calls him out and says that he's not willing to make the sacrifice play. Uh, you know, it's all about putting on the show. And at the end of that movie, he proves that he is willing to make that sacrifice. And then ultimately, Endgame, he does make that sacrifice. And not only does he make the sacrifice, but unlike in Iron Man 2, where he feels like he has nothing to lose... In Endgame, he has everything to lose. He has a family. He has a wife. He has a daughter. And every choice that they had made up to that point in Endgame was because he didn't want to sacrifice his daughter. But then he ends up sacrificing himself so that she and everyone else can, you know, the universe can survive. And that is a great culmination for his arc. Uh, So this is kind of a logical next step from I am Iron Man, you know, from realizing that I'm not going to be an arms dealer anymore. I got to atone for this to I am going to become a hero, not just out of guilt, but because this is what I should be doing. This is the right thing to, I will make the sacrifice so that my daughter and the rest of the universe can have a safe life. You talked about a lot of really serious stuff just there, but I want to like make fun of it for a sec because you talked about 
the uh, the villain being alcoholism, and I just imagined Duff Man in an Iron Man suit, <laughs> like being the villain of this movie, like just shooting beer into Tony Stark's mouth, being like, "Ha How do you like that, Tony?" <laughs> and he's like, "Oh no, wait, no, stop the alcoholism, no." no. <laughs> I think alcoholism right under Justin Hammer is the second most prominent villain in this movie and then Whiplash. Definitely yeah. the most compelling. Like that, that is the list uh, of compelling. No, one yeah, of those drones. Whiplash. That oh, one drone that goes after the kid, he's a better villain than uh, Whiplash. <laughs> Whiplash. Oh, is Whiplash the worst villain in this movie? The nope. strawberries oh, he... that Pepper is allergic to. <laughs> 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 and they go immediately in the garbage. <laughs> Like one oh, of those man. strawberries he's actually made it into the garbage. His that that's a terrible yeah. attempt at throwing strawberries. Uh, I know, and he still eats one. Uh, now, Peaches, I know you're only saying the Whiplash is the worst MCU villain because you haven't seen Thor: The Dark World yet. Ooh, well, ooh. no, 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 I didn't mean MCU. I meant in yeah. Iron Man Two. I'm sorry. Oh, oh, in, in oh, Iron Man Two, yes. The worst. I thought yeah. you meant in the, if in the MCU. No, um, he's not the worst villain. But, <laughs> no, no, uh, he's he's bottom tier. Definitely. But can you be worse. worse than Ultron? I don't think you can. What? Okay, I can't wait for that episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll have feelings. <laughs> Maybe yeah. can you be more disappointing than Ultron? Yeah. Is that fair? You can be disappointing if you cast Christopher Eccleston as your villain and then make Thor the Dark World. <laughs> Sorry, we, I, again, we're, we're a yeah. few weeks away from that. That's Christopher Eccleston? Yeah. Yeah. No. What a waste, right? No way. Like literally one of the best actors, like the most. Ex- no. I know. I know. Where I'll have to take a shot now, but we'll save that for the, for the episode. <laughs> shot number ten. Here we go. If you're playing along at home. Every time that we say we'll talk about that later, or we'll talk about that in a future episode, we are taking shots. It's already <laughs> not actually problem. taking shots because. Most of us have work in the morning. How many uh, old doctors do they get to play MCU villains? Who's next? Uh, I've been waiting for David Tennant. He, well, he's um he's the purple man. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. He's Gilgrave. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My bad. I forgot about Netflix. <laughs> Don't we all? Your why Daredevil got canceled. My bad. <laughs> see, I think. See, I've wanted Matt Smith. If he's going to play a comic villain, I think he should be the Riddler. But ooh, that'd be good. Yeah, we've gotten far enough off track. We're already talking. We're on Batman. All right. (laughs) Bring it back to that other billionaire superhero. So (laughs) after this big old brawl that happens between Tony and Rhodes, we end up at a meeting with Nick Fury and Tony Stark, where once again, Tony is in the Iron Man suit, but this time he's in like a diner. This is after the him with the uh, with the donut. And he's talking to, to Nick Fury. This is where we get the reveal of Natasha Romanov as a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. We also get um, a few other things. First, we get reintroduced to my beloved Agent Coulson. Boy, I miss him in the MCU. Oh, and I yeah. feel so bad that he basically was marooned on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Island for the rest of his MCU tenure. I don't mm-hmm. think... <laughs> I don't think that that's like a bad show by any means, but I miss his presence in the MCU. I think he was really fun and we'll see him in future movies, obviously, but he definitely, there's a point where he kind of says his goodbyes and is a, an agents of shield character first and an MCU character second. Um, so it's, it's sad to me to see him in there because I really miss him as a character. I think he's a lot of fun because he plays it. He plays it so serious. He's so, I don't know. He plays the character so well. He's so good he's- at it. 
He's mm-hmm. perfect. He's like also, the only tryhard that I like. <laughs> I also like that this, and I didn't realize this till recently. This is the first time we notice his devotion. To yes, America. absolutely. Right. And that's in my personal notes <laughs> because I never noticed that scene before where he, he sees the shield. And yeah. first off, that's just a, that's a world building moment. And one that I think actually works very well in this where, oh, okay. Captain America, when we knew at the time, but okay. Captain America is going to be here. But also, you're right, Coulson's moment of of just, like, not being able to find his chill. And why do you have this? Do you know what this is? Like, like that's neat. And we know. That- and then Tony yeah. not giving right, a exactly. crap. Right, <laughs> exactly. Which, in up. retrospect, also ends up being yes. perfect. Yeah, no, that- yeah. Because, of course, he'd be like, oh, that guy. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> the re- seeing the end, this movie with the retrospective of the MCU as it's become, I think that was actually probably the neatest moment. We also, like I said, get revealed to Natasha Romanov and Robbie. You have strong feelings as well about Black Widow in this movie, but for different reasons than Angela had, I feel like. Yeah, um, and she already touched on a lot of it, and I appreciated that. Um, but I just, I was struck by Black Widows in a lot of movies, a lot of them good movies, all of them better than this movie. And at least I think that's how I'm going to feel but I don't think Black Widow was better in maybe any of those movies other than maybe I, I think the character growth she had in Endgame for most of Endgame, not all of Endgame, um, was pretty great. Uh, but I, I, she's just such a cool character in this. And I think it, what Angela said about the the lines of dialogue she has, like the dirty drink and, and, and that sort of stuff is just selling her character. And I think it makes it such a neat twist, even when you know it's coming, even when, like, I- I'm guessing at least a couple of us, when we first saw this movie, knew, oh, no, that's Black Widow. Um, even when you know it's coming, it's still just so neat for that when she flips that switch to suddenly, no, she's a badass spy, and I was just playing a character to, you know, get in with you, and I did so really well. And I just think that's really cool, and it just... Scarlett Johansson does a phenomenal job with both faces of Black Widow, the you know the 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 innocent executive uh, assistant, and then when she starts playing you know badass spy, she's she pulls both of them off convincingly. And then also, I just think her her the combat, her hand to hand expertise, the you know she does not have superpowers, and that ends up being kind of weird in some of the you know when we start getting aliens and magic it starts getting weird that black widow is there with a pistol but in the grounded iron man universe it's really cool and she fits perfectly because she is a level of professionalism above everyone else in there you know she didn't invent a really cool flying suit of armor but she is highly trained and really really cool and i just love the black widow parts and i don't know if anyone disagrees with me but i i think that I did not expect this, but on rewatch, I think Scarlett Johansson is really close to carrying the movie. I don't disagree with you. I think she has the best action scene in yes, the movie too. She has, yeah. she has the best fight mm-hmm. scene out of everybody. I like love that scene yeah. so much. Okay, Angela, hmm. I thought of something else to okay. retort here 45 minutes later. What about the scene where she's changing in the back of the car and we talk about how she's never scantily clad in the movie, but she is there. She's basically just almost naked in that part. What about that? We actually <laughs> talked about this scene when we were having that conversation. Did you? <laughs> yeah. 
don't know about almost naked, but <laughs> I mean, you she's definitely a lot more revealed than she is prior to the movie, right? Like prior in prior in other scenes. I guess I don't know. I just appreciate that, you know, she's she's just there to do her job. Like she's trying to do her job and I think just like how I was saying, like Tony is the one who was objectifying her in the beginning when he was googling her and stuff. And then in the car, Happy is, you know, being a little gross trying to look at her in the rearview mirror and she shuts it down instantly you know like i just i don't feel like that's the film objectifying her i still think it's this is realistically how women are treated like that's not too far off from the truth that say if a woman was quick changing in the back of a taxi the dude driving it might be sneaking a peek or two you know like that's and almost life. getting in an accident because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, on a metatextual level, uh, <laughs> John Favreau is the director. So if you want to talk about the male gaze uh, of the camera, and that's him getting in trouble for that. That's interesting. I agree with you on that one, Angela. I mean, that's that's like the movie trying to take a stereotype of putting, like you said earlier, like a busty woman in a scene and then her immediately shutting it down and saying like, Mind your damn business. Like, I'm trying to get into my work clothes. Get the hell out. And I like think... The, the women in this movie is all... They're all business, both literally and figuratively. Like, I feel like Pepper doesn't get proper shrift for for this movie. Like, even before he names her CEO, she's already very combative with Tony. Like, she's constantly bickering with him and telling him, no, you can't do that. You know? And then once she's CEO, like, she... I can tell like she's she's portrayed really well as a, a strong leader of the company and kind of, you know, she's the one that I think has more inner strength than Tony does. You know, she's the one kind of holding the fort down. So, yeah, I that that was my big like realization, as I mentioned earlier about this movie was both Pepper and Black Widow, I think, are actually really well depicted in this movie. I find that I can't separate Pepper from Gwyneth Paltrow and <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow is so like super weird that like anytime I see her on screen, I'm like, this is weird. She's weird. This is all weird, <laughs> which is probably why I don't are, she doesn't remember she's in the movie. So correct. <laughs> I also love how Pepper's the one woman that Tony doesn't objectify and have the the male gaze thing you know maybe he's i i get the feeling i get the feeling that he's he's tried that he has tried in the past and it has been shut down very quickly and so he knows better now like like a dog that has been like reprimanded after doing something and understands that this is something he shouldn't be doing that that's like the vibe that i get that maybe one day see that before this movie she used to carry on a spray bottle (laughs) Or, or maybe he maybe he just doesn't think that it's necessary okay so he like brings all these people in the first movie and he probably would in the second one too he brings all these women regardless of their occupation to literally just basically have one night stands with them and And weird laughter you can't right and you like maybe he just is like you can't do that with someone you work with like maybe that's no i don't think he has a problem with that i don't think literally around her all the time i don't think tony stark has a problem with anyone Kitty works with. No, people. that's why Pepper has to remind him that <laughs> right. Natalie is potentially a very you know correct. I don't think Tony Stark has right. Claim. To be fair, he ends up marrying Pepper, so I really don't think he has a 
problem getting with anyone that he works with or anything like that. Um, I think it's probably more believable that he maybe tried in the past or something along those lines and he's since been reprimanded because before that, before he's most likely their interactions before were before he had this revelation within himself before, remember before the first Iron Man movie, he was still just kind of a dick. So (laughs) he was probably still just a dick before then. So I'm sure there has been, (laughs) there has been a lot of growth there, which is why he doesn't objectify Pepper in the same way he objectifies almost every other woman. I don't know if this works, but he hits on other women and he flirts with Pepper. And I feel like there's a difference because I feel like there is. Yeah. One of them is consensual. Yeah. Wow. Tony Stark is not great. (laughs) Character. Sure. He does. Absolutely. He does. Um, Moving on. Tony Stark canceled. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Um, Stark gets all of his dad's things that are given to him by Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. He then watches a video of his dad at that expo that we were talking about earlier. Um, He figures out after bringing some strawberries that Pepper is allergic to that the board for the Stark Expo and for the city of tomorrow that is basically just Epcot um, it is a new element, which he then conveniently uses to build a new arc reactor that isn't going to murder him. He creates his own Hydron Collider in his basement, and it's basically just the Higgs boson, but it creates an Iron Man element, but, you know. It's already perfectly shaped to go into right. Iron It's reactor. amazing, isn't it? It's just so so convenient. Um, He's a genius, I mean, pers- okay? <laughs> My favorite thing about this is that I'm just a big fan of the whole trope of uh, someone leaves a coded message in a puzzle for future generations. Uh, even though it never makes sense, I always love that. And where's National <laughs> Treasure 3? Right. Um, but, but yeah, the fact that Howard took the time to design the Stark Expo is like, well, someday my son might need an element. <laughs> there is a point where we were watching this movie. I watched it with Bailey, my wife. Not that you guys don't know who my wife is, but anybody who's listening, my wife is named Bailey. And where he like moves away the trees and stuff and then brings everything into the center. And it literally just looks like the Epcot ball. He's like, look at this, Adam. <laughs> also, look at the Epcot ball. <laughs> Judy, thank yeah. It's a weird level of cheesiness. You guys aren't wrong. Like, it just happens to... It's it's one of those things, like, a lot of stories, the reason that they're stories is because there are coincidences that line up perfectly, and, like, it's not really a story worth telling if it wasn't interesting. But at the same time, this is almost too far. This is like, like, really, Dad? You knew about this element? And you just decided not to do anything with it and, until well, you he did say clairvoyant. Limited. He said he was limited by the technology of his time. So sure. he wouldn't be able to create the element with what resources he had back then. And I, sure. he was doing it for a purpose of kicking off the energy race. It wasn't, oh, my son might need this someday. His it heart's going to need it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like I get that. It's just kind of weird that it lines up. Oh, he just happens to be right at the brink of I am about to literally die. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Here's the element my dad couldn't create. <laughs> on this giant oh, model recreation. <laughs> right on spaceship <laughs> Judy Dent. There's always gotta there. be a little bit of dramatic coincidence. I mean But also Fury knew 
that Tony was dying. Like he knew he was having this problem and he brought the big trunk full of Howard's stuff knowing that film was in there. Like, yeah. so Fury was kind of yeah, definitely. together. Like this might be helpful for Tony. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, even Vanko knows that this is killing him, even though it's not public knowledge. And I think it's just something that this would have been a side effect of having an arc reactor by your chest with that technology at that time. So everyone knew, everyone who was smart enough, and Tony should have realized this, and he did realize that, obviously, because he was testing for it through the whole movie. Uh, but this was a known issue, and this is something that Howard had realized when he was working on the arc reactor, which, incidentally, based on the Tesseract, if you look in the notes, you do see the drawing of the Tesseract in Howard's notes. Uh, so there's your little world building right there. Um, but he knew that he needed some something in the future that he couldn't create, so this was him passing on his life's work to him. Like, like, like Angela said, I was reading the uh, ultimate Spider-Man earlier today. And there is a little snippet in a corner of a frame that is just like a little addition in there where there's a Nova Corps member getting taken away. And it says, I'm telling you it's a cosmic cube. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so good. Uh, I meant to send that to the group chat, but obviously I didn't. Um, so we shared it with everyone. So we shared it with everyone instead. Awesome. I said, you all didn't get to see it. Sorry, <laughs> listeners. Take that. Another fun little thing that we didn't mention was that we. this is where we first find out that um, Tony Stark Sr. Or Howard Stark, excuse Howard. me, not Tony Stark. <laughs> Howard Stark was a, was a founding member of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, this is where we first find out that he's mm -hmm. part of this whole thing, that he's actually part of this world that uh, Tony Stark did not realize he was a part of. We then move on to see that Vanko has turned Hammer's suits that he tried to create into drones, and they are destructive, and um, Hammer is upset about this because he wanted suits. He didn't want the drones. He's thinking they don't work, so he locks up Vanko and heads off to the Stark Expo where he's going to unveil the new war machine and all of these drones. Little does he know that Vanko um, apparently can murder two grown men with his bare hands and hang them. And then remote controlled. Right, he did it with his bird. And then he could remote control. Uh, <laughs> he could remote control all of these drones as well as War Machine. Wait, uh, is Whiplash actually Falcon? And the bird mm -hmm. is his companion mm -hmm. that he controls telepathically. Yes. What you don't see is another part of that scene is him using a transformation machine and turning that bird into Anthony Mackie. And so, oh, shoot. <laughs> oh no, we we have gone Did down. You know, there. Go ahead. Oh, I'm going to take you down a weird rabbit hole here, <laughs> but this is this is actually Marvel Marvel related. Do you know that the first main villain that Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan, not um, Carol Danvers, ever fought was a clone, an evil clone of Thomas Edison that had also been mixed with cockatoo DNA. Better be in the MCU. I am waiting for it. I am waiting <laughs> with bated breath. I think they called him the inventor. Um, but he is like a giant cockatoo that is a clone of Thomas Edison. And is that it's amazing. sounds like a Ninja Trolls video. The so, inventor uh, continues to be a, a part in the MCU. I don't think it's a Thomas Edison, but I was in the Spider-Man comic. I was reading the inventor is in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's just like oh, creating cool. gadgets for people. And then he gets his a cap popped in his head by... Um, prowler but yeah he's in there oh, <laughs> um we then get 
with that scene of Hammer locking up Vanko, Peaches, you feel bad for Hammer. I feel bad for Hammer. I feel bad uh, that he wasn't just the main villain of the movie, but you feel bad for him just in general because Tony kind of just shits on him the whole movie. Yeah, I you know, it's it I think Hammer is such an interesting character in this movie, probably the most interesting character because you spend the first half of the movie I think I do. I, I can't speak for everybody. Um, but he just gets so bullied by Tony. And for what reason? Like clearly he is in the same line of business or was for a long time, right? They were arms dealers rivaling companies for a long time and hammer industries just wasn't as good as stark industries it's very apparent when you see all those weapons the scene where he like is trading the weapons to Rhodes, and he like is upgrading one after another after another after another and he just pulls out the little pen and he's like you know talking about how it's like the cigar and he like waves it in (laughs) front of his face and like all the things that he calls it and then it ends up not working at all later in the movie and like in the very first scene where he's in the courtroom and they're showing Tony pulls up the camera footage of hammer testing out their version of an Iron Man suit. And it literally like snaps the dude's spine. And he's like, Oh, Hey, it looks like that's you hammer. It looks like that's your guy. Um, like clearly For the record he, that man survived. No, he didn't. <laughs> that's a lie. <laughs> oh yeah. No, no I love it. No, I love that. I was just saying, I love that line. I just think like clearly he is an inferior version of the product that tony was creating right yes. so there is some business rivalry there but other than that there's not really any reason for tony to shit on him other than the fact that that's just tony's character like he's just going to be an ego and treat his competition he's just going to belittle them and that's just how it is so for the first half of the movie i legitimately i'm like dude leave that guy alone <laughs> like, <laughs> when he tries to approach him at the at the party before tony decides to do that crazy race he's just literally trying to make conversation with him. And Tony's like, dude, piss off. Like, I hate you. I would rather you not breathe anymore. And by the end of the movie, you feel different because, you know, he does, he pulls all the strings of the, of all the villainous stuff. But you also, at the same time are like, I can kind of understand why this guy turned into such an asshole because all he has been is the butt of Tony's jokes for one forever. To be fair, I think it's magnified on Hammer, but I think that's how Tony treats most other characters. Tony Stark oh, isn't necessarily a nice person. He's just funny about it, but he's no, kind I of agree. mean to just everyone. Yeah, I agree, but but they really highlight how if any of his disgruntled employees ever got together. Right. <laughs> Oh, man, I, I mean, but they you. really spend a lot of this movie intentionally because he's a villain highlighting how much Hammer is just belittled. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, obviously Tony for the first few movies does treat everybody like that, but it's just like overload. It's like, dude, if you if you treated me like this, I would probably hate you, too. Right. Well, and and even at the very end, when the drones turn, Hammer goes and he's helping them find the drones and figure out what's going on and. Tell him right. to find a Russian. And yes, he caused all of it, but he's trying to clean up his mess to keep people from actually dying, which is not what what uh, Hammer would do in the comic, but that's whatever. It's Yeah. yeah. And yeah. our sympathy for him is what makes him a better villain, a better character than mm-hmm. Bonko. Yeah. And it's like other villains that have been successful in the MCU, Killmonger being the first and foremost in my brain, like, of villains that you feel sympathy for that's what truly makes a good villain mm-hmm. so yeah i think that definitely gives hammer a leg up on Bonko in this film mm-hmm. 
there's a line after um sam rockwell after hammer gets arrested and he's leaving and he's like i'll get you back for this or something like that and both me and bailey were like no you won't Uh, which is sad because I think it almost feels like they were positioning him for that role in Iron Man three. Like they were going to use him for that role in Iron Man three. And then they pivoted to, I don't know the actor that ends up playing um, the guy that creates um, extremists, extremists, extremists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it seemed like Sam Rockwell was heading in that direction and then decided to pivot at some point. Yeah, I actually think that Hammer would have been a good fixture in the MCU, not just for how well Sam Rockwell plays him, um, but Hammer's whole thing in the comics is he's basically just, he just funds supervillains. Like, he gives them weapons and money and go be a supervillain. And that that would exist very well in the MCU. And I think that's yeah, what maybe, they were trying for. Maybe Phase 4 we'll see Sam Rockwell again. Oh my god, I wish... I wish. I think. I think. With Norman Osborn I think it was. I think what you're describing, Robbie, was replaced with Hydra. Yes. Um, not that Hydra and Hammer are the same thing, but I think that entity that you're talking, the, the supervillain organization yes. that you're talking about, is Hydra in the the future MCU. Movies. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, closing out the movie, Iron Man and War Machine defeat a bunch of drones, and then they defeat Iron Monger Vanko. Um, an underwhelming and, fight. Right. It's super underwhelming fight. Honestly. What I think, I know you talked about the Black Widow scene being the coolest fight scene. I also really, really enjoyed Tony Stark and um, Iron Man and War Machine fighting back to back when they first, when all the drones land. And for some reason, they're just not shooting him and they all just kind of look at each other and they give him a sec to like get their, like get ready. I think that's a cool fight scene. So I really, I, like I got hype at the time. And I still get hyped because it's all oh, it's War Machine and finally Iron Man and War Machine are fighting together. Like I was excited for that moment, but then I just feel like then it's over. Like it's right. <laughs> they definitely Deus Ex Machina yes, it and exactly. are like, here's Tony Stark. Here is this like weapon that he has that he could have used from the beginning, but he decides to wait to use it until he needs it or whatever. It just yep. doesn't necessarily add up. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about the laser thing that cuts them all in half? Yeah. Because he does say it has limited charge afterwards. Yeah, he says he can only use it once. Right. Yeah. Well, sure, they did a good job of explaining how it works in-universe, yeah. but it didn't give me a good fight. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> right. I, this, it's hard for me to sympathize with you saying that you like this fight scene, and really anybody that says that, because it is the most, in my opinion, disappointing fight scene in the movie, and possibly in the whole MCU. Because they've got this army of drones, they've got this character who, yes... Oh, look at me and my whips. Oh, I've got whips. They could have brought all of these together to have this mm-hmm. epic two versus like 17 really awesome end fight scene. And then it is over right. in a second. And even after they murder in a second, all of the bots, when Whiplash comes down, like, hey, they beat my Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines of bots that I designed, but I'll go take them 1v2 with my whips. Like he has two whips, one for each of them. Right. Even that scene is like one hit, one hit. He whips both of them, and they're like, "Hey, remember that time I was drunk and we shot at each other? Let's do that again." Movie's over. Like it's just so quick and boring. Like it just didn't lead to anything. I think you're right in that regard. I think Marvel hadn't figured out their fight scene formula Mm -hmm. yet. When you get a little further, Marvel figures out that what really is impactful are these visceral, realistic hits. Like think of any of your favorite, like some of the best 
Marvel fight scenes, think of the elevator scene in Winter Soldier. Basically, all the Captain America fight scenes. Think of um, Iron Man, or not Iron Man, Captain America, and Winter Soldier all fighting at the end of Civil War. Think about the airport scene. Think about some of the best fighting scenes in Marvel, and they're all very visceral. They're all very real. They're all very impactful, which is probably why you guys enjoyed the Black Widow scene so much, because that's a lot of in that style. It's very real. It's very impactful. She's realistically hitting these guys. It's not just let me cut you with a laser. So like, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing that makes later Marvel fight scenes work better is first, first of all, with this one, the sequence leading up to that fight where they're sort of taking out the drones all throughout the park is pretty cool. I think. Um, so, so I enjoy that, but later Marvel fight scenes, they work because each character fights in a certain way and you actually care about the characters involved in the fight. And this one, yeah, you care about Iron Man and War Machine and this. You care about Tony and Rhodey. But who who cares about Whiplash? Nobody. No one. Uh, the bird. Maybe. <laughs> it's not even his bird. The bird might be like, who is this guy? Um, I want my human. <laughs> yeah, I want my human. <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, so, the, so there's nothing really that makes that makes you really care about that fight scene except for, well, you know, I, I hope Tony doesn't die. Um, whereas like when you get to Avengers, it is very much, oh, Iron Man is fighting this way. Captain America is fighting this way. Black Widow's fighting this way. Hawkeye's doing this. Thor's doing that. And it's like each character is interesting to watch fight because they have their own style and they shoot it well and they make you actually care about what's going on. I think that the better Marvel action scenes work really well because of that because it's more than just this is a neat fight yeah i agree yeah i'm with you um the 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 movie then closes out with iron man war machine defeating the drones they defeat vanko uh stark and pepper make out on top of a roof roadie's there he refuses to give up the war machine suit and then we close the credits and then we get the fun post-credits scene with them finding thor's hammer in the middle of new mexico yes new mexico New Mexico, Land of Enchantment. Land of Enchantment. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Not old Mexico. Yeah. Um, New New Mexico. Right. <laughs> Weird Futurama. Not really Futurama reference. <laughs> no. No, you should have gone with the Roswell episode. Yeah. The president's choking on my my gas bladder. I want to run through some of our favorite quotes here. We're going to run through these pretty quickly because we've been spending a lot of time on the uh, the, the meat and potatoes discussion of the show. Um, I want to talk about one because it's nonsense and it's a throwaway line, but both myself and Peaches on here, Peaches have it. It's the bond is with the people and I will serve this great nation at the pleasure of myself. If there's one thing I've proven is that you can count on me to pleasure myself. That is not a throwaway line. That's a hilarious line at the end of the Senate meeting. He has so many good quips in there, and it's it was hard to pick just one. Mm-hmm. But that one is just definitely like right up his alley, character wise. Right. Do you do you like it better or worse when you know that he's saying all this to a guy who is with Hydra? Oh, I like uh, it better when he knows the hindsight of Winter Soldier. Yeah. yeah, no, I like it better knowing that he's in Hydra. Like the hindsight makes it that much better that he's giving it a hard time. <laughs> But yeah. I think the first time I watched it, I still enjoyed how much. Oh, yeah, it's, it's great no matter what. Yeah. Angela, you also have one in there where he talks about how he I have successfully privatized world peace, which is yeah. really funny, mm-hmm. but also really scary if you think about today's political climate. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I I think it's interesting, like 
watching this movie and seeing how still super full of himself he is and he's like I said reveling in being Iron Man and everyone knowing that he's Iron Man um and owning you know I've privatized world peace all that stuff um and then it just goes to show how truly turned upside down his world was by the Battle of New York because past that you know I mean if you look at the direction he goes in Civil War and signing the Sokovia Accords and all that stuff. I mean, oh my gosh, that stuff is all so far away from what he does in Iron Man 2, where he's gleefully taking, you know, everything into his own hands. So I just think that's a really interesting shift. Um, yeah. So, I, but I just think that's a really cool line. I have successfully privatized. <laughs> that's why I picked it. Now, Robbie, you have this slide in here about War Machine, which is, I'm going to let you, I'm going to give you a pass on this one because you weren't here for the Hulk <laughs> episode when we trashed on Hulk for essentially doing this exact same thing. And I get it. I get that it's like kind of fun, but we also really just trashed the Hulk for basically doing the same thing. Now, where I will give you the benefit of the doubt is that this does a really good job right. of sort of building up the world that is the MCU for the future, right? We, we start adding in War Machine, we start adding in all these things, and both you and Chris have uh, have points where you want to, yes. where you talked about how this movie just in general yeah. and is building up the MCU and more to me, than the telling movie does, its own is complete kind of story. For that, um, there are good moments, and I think in a lot of ways it's important to the MCU, but I do think that this movie just sat there and built worlds and built worlds and there just wasn't much Iron Man. Like we just talked about, I think what, the conversation we just had about the final fight really encapsulates all of that. And so we kind of already talked about this where there's just not that much Iron Man. When he puts on the suit, it ends up being over quickly. And then we go back to world building and Tony Stark being a dick. Um, but you're right. That line, I'm not saying it's great because frankly, I had trouble finding three quotes I liked from this movie because I just didn't think there was that much going on in the dialogue in this movie. I just like that because it was just really giddy. I It has already come out in the episodes we've done. I just really like our War Machine. I liked that our the MCU they were delivering us actually gave us not just the high-profile characters, but the important people from the, the important side characters. And so, yes, it was a roll credits moment, but uh, I did like the you want to be War Machine, take a shot, because it's just I liked it. They called him War Machine. War Machine's in the MCU. And... and- in the defense of that line, uh, and I know that I'm the one that was bringing up the stuff about Hulk and Abomination in the last movie, is that they did integrate it in pretty well like they did with the Ironmonger line in the first Iron Man. <laughs> and then in Iron Man 3, we get it to the point where his password is War Machine Rocks. <laughs> so, like, he was like, you know, you know he's flying away going, War Machine, I'm keeping that. Uh, you know, and not in the way that was like, Hulk, not Greg anymore. <laughs> One more Gamma Greg. <laughs> Yeah, no, no more Gamma Greg. Hulk, Hulk now. Um, but it was. Um, yeah, Robbie, wait till you hear this episode. I said Gamma Greg to Robbie at board games yesterday, forgetting that he hadn't heard the, the content yet. And I was wondering why he didn't find it hilarious. It didn't, it didn't dawn on me until this. We we started doing this today. And it was like, oh, yeah, Robbie shouldn't know what I'm talking about when I say yeah. Gamma Greg. Yeah, so I thought it was done better than the Hulk movie. So and and again, they do just straight up call him War Machine from then on. So they weren't hiding from it. Fair. I don't. Yeah. I, I agree. I think it, maybe it was a little better place than some random teenager going. It was like some kind of Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> she just left all those men hanging there like some kind of 
Black Widow. <laughs> I turned around. It was like he had a he had a big long tentacle on his arm, and my neck my neck's got whiplash. <laughs> this is man. My driver's really happy. <laughs> All anyway. you guys are just throwing out all these names for characters, and you're just peppering them out there, and I can't think of any others. <laughs> Boy. Oh, Please okay, not, Chris. We don't, we don't need to hammer this home anymore. <laughs> Angela, I want you to know that you started this at the beginning of the episode when you said that Stark pun. Yeah. That's true. This is all your fault. Yeah, you've invoked our fury. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, boy. In the nick of time. Uh, I think we've reached our cat for uh, Marvel name jokes. Ooh. Moving on. Anyway, Eduardo, I, we turn to you, now, fearless leader. Um, to be honest... They're not, we're, we'll talk about some serious quotes here in a minute, but there are a lot of just like funny lines in this movie. And I think for the most part, most of us have just a bunch of funny lines rather than sort of important quotes. Like I think of some quotable Marvel movies that are, that say evocative lines. Black Panther comes to mind immediately for some lines that are very, very important and, and sort of can, can get your mind going. This movie didn't have a lot of that. It had a couple, but it didn't have a lot. Mostly we got a lot of fun lines. Um, Chris, such as, if you attempt to leave or play any games, I will tase you and watch Super Nanny while you drool into the carpet. Yes. I had to get my boy Coulson in there. I mean, Coulson is one of my favorite MCU characters. And I just love, I think, because we didn't see much of him. We don't really see much of him in Iron Man or Iron Man 2. Like, he pops in throughout Iron Man. And you get a bit of a sense of his character. Um, Like, I feel like the biggest character building moment for him in Iron Man is when he puts the little bomb on the door and she's like, Oh, is that some kind of lock? And he's like, you might want to step away or whatever. Uh, and it really builds up to the Coulson that we see more of in Thor and in the Avengers and on ages of shield as well, uh, where he's, he's kind of cool under pressure. Uh, he, he feels like he can handle anything, even though again, like, like black widow, he is not a superhero. He's not even like as an amazing fighter. Like, like black widow is, um, but he can hold his own among all these super, super beings. And I just love how cool he is in that. And I feel like that's like, yeah, this is the Coulson. Like, this is like, oh, I want to see more of this guy. And then fortunately we did get more of him. Um, Peaches, uh, going, uh, continuing on the funny train, you asked, <laughs> you put, uh, when Tony Stark was in that donut, sir, I'm going to have to ask you to exit the donut. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I just thought that was a good intro for I mean, it was funny, first of all, but I thought it was a good like reintro for Nick Fury because, you know, we know that his character now that we've seen everything is kind of like a sarcastic asshole um, like Samuel L. Jackson is. But you don't get any of that when you see his like two sentence cameo in the first Iron Man movie and you don't mm-hmm. see him at all in Gamma Greg. So it's it's cool to have that be the intro to Fury in this movie where he's just kind of making some quips, but he's also like got some serious shit to talk about, you know? Yeah. He um, I have to wonder, like for the people who went and saw Iron Man and didn't stick around for the credits, didn't know that there was a credit sequence. 
walk in and Samuel L. Jackson is just walking in like we're supposed to know who he is. I, I wonder how that played. <laughs> I mean, that's people. just his thing, though. So he probably yeah. played it just fine. Yeah. Uh, I guess, you know, I, I figured this out watching Spider-Man Far From Home last week. I think Samuel L. Jackson's greatest ability as an actor is that he can roll his eyes without actually moving his eyes. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Like, he just sort of turns and he just stares in the distance and you know he's rolling his eyes. I don't know how he does it, but it's, it's very impressive. His rolling eye. his eye. Yeah. <laughs> he, has to, he has to turn and roll the other one. Or roll yeah. for the other one. Yeah. Um, other funny quotes that we have in here, um, Robbie, about this bird. It was just so, and that line <laughs> needs Sam Rockwell to deliver it. But uh, and I'm not going to do a Sam Rockwell impression. But uh, well, listen, even if it's not the bird, I mean, this is this is a gorgeous bird. I mean, look, you know, don't get so attached to things. Let go. Like it's just, it's Sam Rockwell's delivery that makes that, and it's just, it is funny, but also it's very, yeah, um, almost kind of sinister because it's that moment where it's the villains are going to get their villain things done, but they're also going to start being villains to each other because they're not on the same side. And so there's kind of this darkness to that, but just Sam Rockwell says everything funny. I like his line about the, when uh, Bonko is done with the drones and then he sees the head on it and says, that's not a helmet. <laughs> and the guy <laughs> in the background is trying to put the helmet <laughs> yeah. on. I wrote that okay. one down. Too. See, that's not, see, he can't put his head in there. <laughs> Try to put your head in there. Nope. See, Jack, he can you put your head in there? there? No. And he's like putting it on the top yeah. of his head. And he's he's like, assisting in being oh, the sarcastic geez. asshole. The, government, yeah. the no, government wants a guy in there. I can't put this Nintendo Switch controller on my head. It doesn't yeah. work. I don't know why. How do I shot? Well, drone on head. Drone on head. Put drone on head. Peaches, you talked a lot about that scene, um, the, the courtroom scene, and how Tony really shines in there. He's got a lot of funny quips. Sam Rockwell also delivers some pretty good lines in that, uh, in that whole sequence. Um, for example, when he's talking about sort of America and how different America is and how all the, 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 the danger we have in there, he goes, I'd love to leave my door open, but this ain't Canada. And I don't know <laughs> why in yeah. Canada, for some reason, everybody just leaves the door open, but apparently Sam Rockwell thinks that the America is a land of death. I learned that that's oh. just a Northern mm. thing too recently, that people just like to leave their doors unlocked. That is... <laughs> Also true. Now, Awkward. <laughs> um, Angela, I actually don't know where this line is from, so I want you to tell me where it's sure. from. It says, I'm the realest person you're ever going to meet. Uh, Fury says that to Tony in uh, the donut shop. Yep. He says, I am real. I'm the realest person you're ever going to meet. And it, and I don't, re I don't remember what prompted that. Oh, it was line. because Tony was like, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm a little hungover. I'm not even sure if you're hallucination. Oh, okay. or... yeah. <laughs> and I just, especially like now knowing what we know, the whole MCU, all that stuff. And him saying, I'm the realest person you're ever going to meet. And Fury lies. He, you know, gets people to do things that he wants them to do through deception which is not real. Nice. So I just, I don't know. I just think that's an interesting like intro to his character, him coming out and saying, I'm the realest person you're ever going to meet. And then he, he's the puppet master through the next several movies and lying to everybody. His secrets have secrets. Yeah. What, what are you doing? That's why their hair is so big. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
It's also, I think it's important to note that that line's delivery works because Samuel L. Jackson is saying it. I think Uh Samuel L. Jackson is pivotal to that line feeling authentic, right? Because that sounds like something Samuel L. Jackson would just say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They they did really well at casting people named Sam in this movie. Um, I want to talk about a few other funny quotes. Um, at one point, I don't know why this stuck out to me, but it just did. Sam Rockwell says, God bless America, God, or God bless Iron Man, God bless America. And it was such a <laughs> it's it's the delivery. Hearing. That's why it stuck out it's to me. It's the, the delivery. delivery. He just says it so. It's Zaphod Beeblebrox saying it. It is just so good. He just says it like nonchalant. Like in this universe, we just God bless Iron Man because that's just the way it is. Like if we had, you know, a superhero in our universe that was named Tamale Man, we'd be like, God bless Tamale Man. What would we do without Tamale Man? Like. It would just, I don't know. I think the line. Uh, Dad, there's no tamale, man. Yeah, same. <laughs> I wish there was a tamale, same. man. Um, but I also think I had one it just fortifies my point that Sam Rockwell can do no wrong in this movie and he deserves more than what he was given. But I digress. Now, mm-hmm. we get into a few other um, a few other Tony Stark lines. Chris, you had written down textbook narcissism. Agreed, which are things, it's what Tony Stark is listing off is like, where he's reading the file yeah. about himself. Yeah, because at the very end of the of the movie, Tony goes to meet with Nick Fury uh, to talk about uh, the Avengers Initiative and uh, Romanov's report on him. And she recommends Iron Man for the Avengers Initiative, but not Tony Stark. And that's when they decide to bring him on as a consultant. But she, she he's listing the character defects excuse me, that, uh, that she finds in him. And he's, he's like getting defense about some of them. He's like recklessly impulsive. To be fair, that was a week ago. Or, uh, and then he goes, textbook narcissism. Agreed. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I just thought that was very funny. He's like, okay, so he is, he does have some self-awareness. He does. I, I think, uh, I think you, the, the, the Iron Man movies are movies about Tony Stark discovering himself, discovering his own personal traits. And I think it's it, it's a it's a fun line, but it's an important one because it sort of fortifies this thing that as you go on with the Iron Man movies and the Avengers movies can be counted in with this as well. Tony Stark becomes more self-aware of, of his actions, what he does, who he affects, why he affects them. And even when he eventually leaves the MCU, his effects and the effects that he has had on the people in that universe continue to reverberate even dead i'm the hero right <laughs> um now we get into a little bit more of the the, the lines you could say are, i don't want to call them serious lines but there are lines that are a little bit more um they can be taken a little more seriously than some of the ones that we talked about so far peaches now iron man talking to this um to the senate committee he, he says this line, and I'll let you deliver it, but he says this line about basically that he is Iron Man, Iron Man is him, they are one and the same. Yeah, and I'm realizing now that I'm looking at all of our quotes that most of, like, the biggest percentage of where we're finding our good quotes is from that Senate scene, so right. I guess that's probably <laughs> one of the best scenes in the movie. It is a great scene. But what he says is, you can forget it, I'm Iron Man, the suit and I are one. To turn over the Iron Man suit would be to turn over myself, which is tantamount to indentured servitude or prostitution, depending on what state you're in. You can't have it. And then later he makes a quip to, to the senator about prostitutes. Uh, like, oh, you wouldn't know anything about that sort of thing. Um, I just think that that's, that's kind of a... 
it's kind of a healthy and unhealthy way to look at his own character, right? Because it's he's he's talking about how he and the suit are the same thing, which in a way is perceived by some as selfish, like he's not willing to be a team player, but at the same time, he doesn't want to give up his identity because he's found identity in being the hero. So it's kind of a weird, like you could look at it in either direction, but it's an important line for Tony because he needs to learn how to be both of those things. He needs to learn how to be a hero and share his heroism with everybody and not just think about how it's benefiting himself. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, Ivan Vanko in this movie doesn't necessarily have a lot of great lines, but he does have one decent one. And Robbie, you would put this one in here. It says, if you can make God bleed, the people will cease to believe in him. I should, I would have tried to say have a Russian accent in there, but let me tell you, you do not want to hear me attempt a Russian accent. Um, no, That's what the emailers it, want. I, I think maybe I do. I mean, and I really wish I could expand on it um, to, to, you know, flesh out this podcast. Unfortunately, I just... Didn't find it a very quotable movie. You guys are right. In hindsight, it all came to the Senate hearing. That said, I did think it was a good, you know, nice, sinister tone. If, you know, the way that line was delivered was Vonko the rest of the movie, we might have had a good villain. It did sell his um, his uh, uh, motivation very well, which is he's just trying to ruin Tony Stark in front of everyone else. That's all he cares about. That's He's not, not going to get rich with Hammer. He's just going to kill Tony Stark in public. Um and I thought it was a really good way of delivering that motivation in one line. It's fantastic. And then I forgot about him after that. I actually, I kind of want to jump ahead with that line because that line came to mind for me the first time I saw Infinity War when Tony is fighting yes. Thanos on mm-hmm. Titan. And he, you know, there's this whole elaborate thing and he ends up scratching Thanos on the face and Thanos is all that for a drop of blood, which is a very intimidating line from thanos but it also made me think of well if you can make god bleed uh, and i felt i wish they had maybe paid that off a little more directly in endgame but i think thematically it still does kind of work because they also forgot about whiplash yeah, yeah. <laughs> thankfully they didn't forget thor the dark world but they... <laughs> that's because they shoehorn themselves into not being able to forget about thor the dark world yeah but uh yeah but it's it i feel like you know tony still I mean, yeah, where, where, where he's at the beginning of Endgame when they've lost, it, it, it's a very low place for him. But he doesn't, I mean, when they come back to him with the possibility of, hey, we can beat him, we can actually undo this, you know, he then does his part to make it happen. And I like to think that there's a part in his brain that remembered that. And he's like, well, I made him bleed. We can do this. Chris, you also have a line in here. I believe it is a conversation between Tony Stark and Nick Fury. Is that correct? No, it's, it's Coulson. Coulson. Okay. It's, it's an Coulson, agent yeah. of S.H.I.E.L.D., one um, of them. Um, but he said, yeah. go ahead. It's when they're, oh, yeah, it's, um, Coulson's about to leave because he has to go to New Mexico for some mysterious reason, Thor. Um, and as he's leaving, Coulson shakes his hand and says, we need you. And Tony says, more than you know. And Coulson says, not that much. Um, and I love it because a it is just him casually dismissing him after that. It's like not that much. It's kind of fun uh, because of course Tony's going to make it in you know, in his mind is going to be all about him. Yeah, of course you need me. And Coulson's like, oh, we can get by without you if we have to. Um, but it's also a great again a fun character building moment for Coulson because of all the people 
who believe in the Avengers initiative, including, you know, all the Avengers don't believe in that at first. Coulson is the true believer in the Avengers. And this is the first we're actually seeing of that. And uh, I really, I just enjoy that. True believer. No. Exactly, yeah. Now, Angela, I saved this quote for last on purpose. I really enjoy this quote. I was actually going to put it in my quotes, but then I forgot to write it down and forgot about it until I read it in the notes a moment ago. Now, um, it's a scene where Tony and Pepper are speaking to each other, and he is asking her to go to Venice with him to go on vacation, that she just needs to recharge the batteries. And she talks to Tony, and she says, not everyone runs on batteries. And I think that is... One, uh, funny because it's literal, but two, because it continues to paint this picture that Tony Stark is a different person than anyone else. He he works at a different frequency. He works on a different wavelength. He is different. And as we go through the movies, that, that picture is painted more and more. Yeah, um, it really sets up just kind of the ongoing struggle between her and him that he can't stop doing what he's doing he can't stop making new suits and trying to improve upon his technologies and and especially after the battle of new york he can't stop thinking about thanos he can't stop thinking about how can i make this right um in civil war he's you know all about the sokovia accords because he's like this will make it right this will this will fix it you know he wants to anything he can do just go 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 and they fall apart a little bit because of it. They go on a, they take a break, you know? Um, so I just think that's, that was a good preface to that line was a good preface to the struggle between her and him as a couple. Um, but also kind of his struggle in general. And, and, and that's what made to his, his ending in Endgame So, sad and and poignant when she's sitting there with him as he's dying and she says you're okay like you can rest now it's like it's over like that was kind of the culminating like after go 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 forever how many movies and now he's actually done and her saying okay you're done like and it really being the end for him that's what made it so much more like like really sad and you know moving and everything so yeah, I thought that was a really good line from this movie. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's solid, and I think um, I think it's it's really interesting, specifically in hindsight. Like, I don't think that if we were on our first watch of the MCU that we'd never seen before, that that line would stand out. But I think specifically in a retrospective style, that line stands out a lot because of the journey that Tony Stark goes through throughout the rest of the MCU. Now. Speaking of Tony Stark, I want to talk about our MVPs of the movie. So we talk about our MVPs um, of every movie. Robbie, you've got Tony Stark down as your MVP of this movie. He was the person that uh, you thought was the most... We haven't really defined... Let me let me speak to the audience here for a second. We haven't really necessarily defined what an MVP is. An MVP to you can be one thing that it is different to another person. Um, I believe Chris said this on the last episode, and so I'm going to try to echo it here, that an MVP is just whatever whoever you feel is the MVP to you. Um, Robbie, why is Tony Stark your MVP? I just, the movie slogs, but, and it is, it is all about Tony Stark's internal struggle and dealing with his own demons. And that doesn't necessarily interest me that much, but 
Robert Downey Jr. does a great job of it. And Tony Stark is a good character in this. He is compelling. He is a flawed superhero. Um, that is all really well done. Um, and and I wish there was more Iron Man to the film. Uh, but I really, really like uh, that this, this Tony Stark was built and put into the universe. Now, myself, Peaches, and Chris have all put down... And I apologize to to Robbie and Angela for this. The true MVP of this movie, Sam Rockwell, because uh, yeah, <laughs> man, I, I and you don't need to hear me talk about it anymore. So one of you two gush about Sam Rockwell, but you know how much I love him in this movie. I don't think I have anything to say either that I haven't already said. I just think that he played the most interesting character arc with the most strings in all of the the characters. I think he. He had a hand in everything and you felt bad for him and that's what made him a good villain. And he he's a very right fun presence again. throughout the whole movie. Um, anytime he's on screen, you know, it's going to be an amusing scene at least. Um, I do like it's like that in the show notes, Eduardo initially wrote, I might be in the minority here. Yeah. Um, and then three yep, and out he of was five originally of my choice too. And then I changed it at the last minute. It's so interesting because wow. I thought I was going to be on like a uh, a desert island here, uh, like that nope. everybody else was going to be picking nope, other people. But here. we're all here on the same That's Sam Rockwell true. train, and I love it. You know, it's interesting because yeah. I um I recently watched that movie with um Christopher. What's the guy's name? Oh man, the movie about Dick Cheney oh. with um with Batman. Oh, Vice. Vice. Yeah, with Christian, with Christian Bale. Bale and Sam Rockwell plays George W. Bush in that movie. And that oh, right. is all yeah. I could see while watching was George W. Bush being like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Dancing <Yeah>. on the <laughs> stage. <laughs> now, um, Angela, you've got Natasha on here. Um, and I think that's another good choice for this, especially if you've, after all the revelations you've had about Natasha in this movie in general. Yeah, I... Uh... This is my favorite. I don't know how to word this. I guess this is my favorite Black Widow of all the MCU films that yeah. have Black Widow in it. Um, I and her her fight scene at the end is just the best, and I love how it ends on the pepper spray. Like that just is so cool. It was so <laughs> perfect. Um, but it's hard for me to say who carries this movie because I think because Tony was kind of lame in this movie um, on purpose. I mean, that was the stuff he was going through in the movie, but it is really an ensemble piece. You know, you've got so many moving parts and, and you've got a bunch of new characters introduced and everything and everyone brings something to the table. So I don't know if I could say any one person carries this movie, but I really enjoyed her. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think she's great. Now, how does this movie fit into the MCU? What do we think about it? Um, we've talked about this a little already, but this movie does um, a lot to set up what is the rest of the MCU. It works very hard to introduce characters that are going to be pivotal moving forward. It, it, um, it, it's the beginnings of us hearing about Thor. It's the beginnings of us hearing about Captain America. It fully introduces Nick Fury. It fully introduces a Natasha, Black Widow. It, it, it sets up a lot. It gives us War Machine. It gives us Pepper Potts in a more sort of refined role as Tony Stark's partner rather than his assistant. Um, so 
where do you guys think this fits in the MCU? Do you think it, it does a good job of, of, of fitting in there? I think it's incredibly important to the MCU. I think you don't have an MCU without this movie. I think it spent a little bit too much time making the MCU um, at the detriment to itself as a freestanding movie. But what it does for here's Black Widow and here's S.H.I.E.L.D. and here's Tony Stark's demons and his growth and his relationship with Pepper um, and here's War Machine now and, you know, here's Gary Shandling. He's actually actually in Hydra. And just all that stuff is really, really important to the growth of the MCU. It, it's almost like we just had to take this, like, casualty of the war of creating this universe. And this was the casualty. Like, okay, we'll have this one bad movie that just sets everything up. But it did set everything up really, really nicely. The way I just decided to think about it, I guess, was that, like, Iron Man, Hulk... Thor and Cap are all movies that are origin stories for their character. Whereas Iron Man 2 is called mm-hmm. Iron Man 2, but it's really like the story that sets up yes, Avengers. Absolutely. 100%. So it's more like a it's more like a origin story of other yep. everything else rather than one character's yep. sequel. See that it that didn't really bother me in this movie. I, th- I I thought it was kind of fun how this was the first movie to really lean into the shared universe concept. I mean, you had the Tony Stark cameo and a couple throwaway lines about S.H.I.E.L.D. in Incredible Hulk. Um, but I felt like a lot of this was either background stuff, because like they set up Thor, but there are just two lines in the movie that set up Thor, and they're not bad. It's, it's Fury saying, I've got bigger problems than you in the Southwest region. You are not the center of my universe. Uh, and then Coulson saying, I've got to go to New Mexico. And then you have the, the post-credits stinger, but that's a post-credits thing. It's allowed to be its own thing. Um, yeah, it is kind of the guess we have to explain what S.H.I.E.L.D. is movie, but I thought they did a good job of making that personal by telling you through the lens of Tony finding out about this other life his father had. You know, they made it personal. It's like he didn't have a connection with his father, and through this he actually does start to find some common ground with his dad that he didn't have before. And he's able to do that through shield. And I thought that was interesting. And then you actually get to see Howard in captain America. Listening to you say that, I think, I think I finally figured out why this movie falls flat for me because I don't mind world building and I don't mind introspective character, you know, difficulties. I think what my problem is, is I don't think the movie was long enough or interesting enough to do both. And I think that's what I end up not liking is I want some world building with some Iron Man or I want to really just look at Tony Stark dealing with his demons and some Iron Man. And instead, I got very little Iron Man and all of the other two. Well, right. Isn't Iron Man 3 just the better version of that yep. tale? Yes. Right. Isn't Iron Man 3 just the better version of the Tony Stark dealing with his demons? Isn't that like the what some would consider the best version of yes, that story? Yes, but we'll save that for a future episode. <laughs> <laughs> they're already drunk oh, they're driving <laughs> um let's talk about our ratings we have talked about this movie i want to say pretty positively uh, as we've talked about our discussions but i know for me this movie wasn't my favorite i give iron man 2 six iron mans eating donuts out of a donut out of 10 i know whoa peaches what's your rating uh, well, since I added a decimal earlier, I gave it six point brownie out of 10 
uh, alcoholism callouts out of ten. <laughs> Whatever point brownie means, I don't know. I gave it six mashed potato bombs out of ten, which I think is one of the one of the better MacGuffins to be used in our rating. <laughs> uh, I'll do mine before Chris because I think that's going to be more entertaining. Um, I gave mine four cockatoos out of ten. Uh, I fell pretty flat, but I liked the cockatoo. Okay, wow, four is a well, lot. I certainly liked this a lot more than the rest of you, apparently. Mm-hmm. I Not as much as the first Iron Man, more than Hulk. I, but I uh, I gave it seven and a half uh, awkward, in hindsight, Elon Musk cameos <laughs> out of ten. Now, as far as it, as far as it, how it ranks with the MCU, I need to... I'm going to be the one to say this because no one else is going to say it because no one else believes it. So far in the MCU, for me, personally... Incredible Hulk has been the strongest of these three movies. And I okay. know, I know nobody uh, agrees with this. I get it. I, I understand, but I just need to say my piece here that I think Incredible Hulk is a better movie than these two movies that we've just seen. I Well, I think Hulk is way better than this. Way, way, way better. I think Hulk is closer to Iron Man 1 than it is to Iron Man 2. I just don't agree with putting Hulk ahead of Iron Man 1. I, th- I think that's you fair. You guys already had that. I think that's fair. Um, I, I do think it's definitely at the bottom for mine as the movies have gone. And I also think it's going to stay there other than maybe Thor two. I think this is going to stay the bottom feeder of the list. I was, go ahead. You have to give your ranking for, uh, for Hulk. Now. I think we talked about this. Oh yeah. Earlier. I'm sorry. I, I did not. Yeah. Um, I, I probably give Hulk a, a six or seven uh, lost uh, leader cameos set up for future movies out of 10. Um, but uh it's definitely behind Iron Man and definitely behind, ahead of Iron Man 2. Eduardo, I want to speak for myself and the rest <clears throat> of the squad and the audience uh, on your feelings on the Hulk. When I, and, and I truly mean this when I say you can suck all of our asses. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you thought it was better than Iron Man 2. I my brain now. Yeah, but not better than Iron Man. I think it's better than Iron Man. And I, and I rated both of them a six, and I have Iron Man 2 at the bottom so far out of the three that we've watched. Even with the point I brownie. I, even with the point brownie, because Iron Man 2 doesn't lead to anything other than this like prequel setup movie for Avengers stuff. Hulk at least has a story from start yes. to finish. Iron Man 2 is like, What's happening with the story? Let's end with this battle that's really disappointing. At least I was entertained by the battles in the mm-hmm. Hulk. All of the battles in the Hulk. Most, like, some of them in Iron Man Also, too. is this the movie but, where the MCU figures out it probably shouldn't murder people? Because in both Iron Man and Hulk, they murder people. And in this one, they're like, wait, hold on, guys. Let's just use drones. Because maybe mm-hmm. we've murdered one too many people. No, there's yeah, and murder. And even Vanko kills himself because he sets off the self-destruct thing. Oh, yeah. Well, to be fair, I, I'm speaking specifically about heroes murdering people because well, right, there's murder in Iron Man 3 when Tony Stark is infiltrating yeah, the is. Uh, compound. He kills like all the guards yeah. except the one that's like, yo, I just work here. Everyone's weird. I don't even want to be here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think it's fair in the the guise of he's trapped. He's like just trying to get out, which I guess is also fair in the first movie. But also in the first movie, he goes and seeks out a bunch of dudes and literally blows up a tank with people in it. So like, 
I was gonna say Captain America, but that's literally during a war. Right. So that's there. There are more things that you can do in your head to like justify it, whereas in like the mm. first Iron Man, he was just killing people. <laughs> in the Hulk, he's uncontrollable and like at one point literally kicks a dude into a tree that looks like he broke every bone in his body. I don't remember. He got better. Um, now, the Sound Lords, both of you have the same rating, which I think is probably going to be a lot of people's ratings, which puts it Iron Man, Iron Man 2, and Hulk at the bottom. I'm interested in your opinions, just in general, about the Hulk, Angela, because it, you know, as someone who hasn't hasn't <sighs> been able to speak on it yet. <laughs> My feelings on the Hulk are, I just... If I don't care about the characters, it's not a good movie. To me, that is my sure. opinion. I'm not big on fight scenes, you know, in any movie. I'm not, like, that's not the thing I'm after. You know, I'm after character development. I'm after, you know, being entertained by these people on screen and who they are as characters, as people. Um, and I've tried watching The Hulk a couple times now. I never watch it without falling asleep during it. And... I have yet to give a crap about anyone in that movie. And that's where it falls flat for me. That's where I was talking earlier about how movies that made it onto my top five were because of like rewatchability as well, like watching things for comfort. Um, I have zero desire to rewatch the Hulk. I only sort of rewatched it with him because he had to for the- <laughs> Damn it, Eduardo. <laughs> but- She fell asleep then too. And I fell asleep. But I just, yeah, I just have zero desire to be like, oh, you know what? Let me go grab the Hulk Blu-ray and pop that in, you know, for an afternoon. Like, I just, whereas Iron Man 2, if it's on TV or something, I'll watch it. Like, I, there are many entertaining parts of that movie uh, with the characters that they introduce. And, and like I said, I love the bits about the expo and all that stuff. So, you know, that's why. Hulk is easily at the bottom for me and why I would rate it, you know, three out of 10, because it just does, it falls very I hate to hear you talk about the Ang Lee one. Likeability. The, the lowest rating of any you... movie so far. Goodness. Whew, that hurt me. Ooh. I will. It... It's also when you consider everything in front of us too, the whole MCU in front of us and how it only gets better and just like, so when you compare the Hulk to Wait, Hulk we don't that, ever talk like, about the future movies. That's a problem that's... we avoid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will admit I maybe have a little bit of blinders on because I'm in love with Liv Tyler. So that might... You don't even love the that Hulk. That might be skewing my opinion of the movie, maybe a little bit. I Listen, I love Natalie Portman, but I find her boring yeah. in the Thor movie. It's true. Yeah, I love Portman her. boring. <laughs> and I like Liv Tyler in Lord of the Rings. The problem was so Arwen's kind of boring the, the too. The problem but, was <laughs> in like Thor, better. no one's killing younglings. And that's the that's the true travesty. I also find her boring in Star Wars, even though I love both Star Wars and Natalie Portman. Is that what I sound like when I do ASMR? Yes. That was pretty loud. Yes. It oh, is. Wow. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I can't wait for the side episode where we have uh, Robbie and Angela just arguing about Natalie Portman. Or Star Wars now. <laughs> so that's going to happen. All right. We have gone on long enough. That's going to do it. I want to thank each of you um, for being here, especially Angela for taking the time out of her day to, to, to be here with us. Um, I don't know your, tw- you're welcome. Thank you. 
I don't know your Twitter handle. Um, I know D underscore peaches, Phil kid. Is it just Phil kid? Three. Phil kid three Gator Sacks 2010 and Angela underscore Hartman. Angela underscore Hartman. And then ABCD Eduardo one. That's going to do it for all of us here on this journey through the MCU. We love you 3000, everybody. See ya. South York. Heavens. Catchphrase. You didn't take my suggestion, Eduardo. Oh, I forgot. What was the suggestion? <laughs> to say thanks for listening to part three of our Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> so, if I can make... this wasn't bad for you guys. It was around two hours. I think that's bad for us. This is this is the longest we've ever recorded. What's amazing? Thing, actually, no, it isn't. Really? We've never. No, no, it's not. not. It's we there. Yeah, there have been longer uh, squad ups, definitely. What's amazing to me, though, more than yeah. two hours. is I went into this Iron Man 2 thinking it's going to be so hard for us to come up with content. It's going to be so hard to even do an hour on Iron Man 2. <laughs> like, what are we going to do? Like, yeesh. <laughs> I think you could put us in a room and we could be talking about a loaf of bread and we'll find ways to talk about that loaf of bread.